Namaste and good evening to all of you. As you know, probably as you remember from last week, there was the suggestion that uh, since this cycle of Luke is so long, that we should alternate with other subjects, like one week of Gospel of Week of a different subject. And uh, especially since uh, now we are in the middle of a cycle of workshops, like the art of dying and the angels and the Mahavidya Inshans and other and other things, we asked for students in the school to give suggestions, like they would like to hear about something. And somebody asked a question because they wanted to understand the concept of a soul. What is a soul? What are souls? Why do we speak about souls? We ourselves, we define ourselves as souls. And um, this took me to the idea that um, it's very much a theme in Tantric Yoga that we speak about entities, souls, spirits, planes of existence. And this kind of information is coming so often in spirituality that um, for many people it is unclear. It's more than that. For many people, this thing of dealing with souls and dealing with spirits and dealing with entities is plainly scary. It's plainly like spooky, like, you know, I have to think about it like this or like that. Which is paradoxical because even on planet Earth, even in the physical existence which we can see and perceive, we are surrounded by life. We are not the only life form. And actually when you count the other forms of life on this planet, they are way, way, way more numerous than the human beings. Even the human being itself is a miracle biologically because the number of bacteria, viruses, microorganisms and others which are inside the human body mixed with the human tissues is like more than if I remember correctly, somewhere between 10 to a thousand times the number of cells of your own body. Like, we are not the dominant biologists, even inside our own body. Inside our own body, our cells are this much, and other parasites and cohabitants are this much. Like, we are not even at home in our own bodies. Our own bodies are inhabited by many other species and their number of cells is much, much bigger than the number of cells of our own body. Not to mention to turn gross and talk just about the digestive process and the others. If you take, for example, we eat food and we are supposed to excrete stool. But the stool is more than 90%, way more than 90%. Bacteria. It's just organisms. And therefore, it's like when we don't, you know, we analyze matter at face value. 
than what we see. But if you go with a microscope and if you really go and research, we are living in an ocean of life and we are separate from it and we are merging biologically with it and we are dependent on it. We are incapable to survive without it. Even if you take it in a very non-organic, like when people think about the bacteria which exist in us, like the intestinal flora and all the other stuff, it's very spooky, it's organically repulsive, disgusting. It's like, oh, I feel I'm in this way. But um, think about what Albert Einstein said, that if the bees would disappear, humanity will be extinct in a matter of years. Because like, although we don't have bees in our body, we have a system. Without bees, there is no pollination of the flowers in the nature, or there is 10 times less than what is now, because the bees do about 90% of it. And therefore, without bees, agriculture, farming, food chains, and all the others, they die. They say, if the bees die, we die. So the bees are exactly like a useful bacteria that we have in our bowels. If that bacteria is not there, like lactobacteria, for example, if that bacteria is not there, we die. And thus, it's interesting that the human being refuses to think live in a universe where they are related to a hundred thousand things and interacting and depending directly on some of it. No, but at the same time, even physically, this is visible. And we like to think about it ecologically, like it's all out of me. It's not inside me. Inside, we want to disinfect ourselves, you know, to clean ourselves. But I have seen in this epidemic time, epidemiologists from America, from Ireland, who said, if your body is not exposed to viruses and microbes every day, every day, your immune system is losing its capacity to fight against any infection. There was this woman from America who said, how idiotic do you have to forbid people's access to the beach when the beaches have so many viruses and bacteria and microorganisms which are directly useful to the human being? Lying on the sand, you're interacting with lots and lots of things which are potentating your system. They are giving you energy, vitality, health, and other things. Not to mention the D vitamin, which comes from the sun, and which is one of the essential ingredients for the immune, immune system, and all that. So, um, that's why I thought it would be interesting. I'm going to talk pretty much freely. I just wrote a few ideas on a piece of paper here to make sure that I'm going through some themes because otherwise I speak freely. I was thinking about uh, why don't we make a survey of what are the, and especially the invisible influences that we are connected with, or sometimes not very closely connected with, but they still exist. Like, let's, let's analyze a little bit is the human relationship with entities and spirits 
Because either you talk about the demons which Jesus is casting out in the Gospel of Luke every time and talks about them, or we talk about angels, or we talk about Mahavidyas, or Tantra and the Tantric way of looking upon the world, or we talk about a lot of other things, the art of dying and the six lokas and where can the human soul go after death and all that stuff. All of it is about forms of life. All of it is about levels of consciousness. All of it is about lokas, locations, places where the human being could go, interactions which the human being can have. And when the Tibetan Lamas say that you can go in some form of hell, even temporarily during the bardo, or even after the bardo is finished, they talk about places where you go and some entities, spirits, they devour you exactly as a wild animal, as a tiger would catch you alone in the jungle and tear you apart and kill you. And, uh, and that itself, just thinking about it, sounds like a horrifying experience. Only that in hell, after half an hour when the tearing down is finished, it starts all over. It's like you are running a video clip again and again and again and again and again. And every 30 minutes you are having the horrible experience of being torn apart. And if that goes on for 200 years, then you start having an, an input about what hell can actually mean. So, I think it's very important and I would like to start from this primary question, what is a soul, right? Because we always have this duality that there is the body which is the material organization of matter, there is the spirit which is the nature of God, which is there is an ocean of spirit up there, and in between the spirit and the body, there is something which Paul, the Apostle of Christ, calls soul. That the human being is made of spirit, soul, body. So the soul is a sort of a concrete gathering of spirit, which corresponds to this particular body. Like in a certain way, it seems that spirit, imagine spirit as an ocean, which fills up the universe like the ocean of mind and the ocean of consciousness of the divine. But the universe is not homogenous. Because, for example, in the universe you have galaxies, stars, and other formations. And those formations, even the gravitation, which is a basic concept, is not the same. You go somewhere in the middle of nowhere, the gravitation is... You cannot feel it, it's a sort of... a continuum, and if you go near a very big sun or star, not to mention a neutronic star or something, the gravitation becomes like a well, like completely a deep well which sucks everything. So the universe is not homogeneous. It's not the same structure. It's like if you would be a car running on the road, and if the road is homogeneous, the car is going like... But if the road is having stones then the car is going the universe is like a stony road every star is a stone on the road every solar system every other irregularity in the universe that's why the great mystics 
you can see uh, some account of that in the theosophic literature, like, for example, in the Secret Doctrine of Miss Helena Petrovna Blavatsky. They claimed always that the first agglomeration of spirit into something more peculiar were the stars. Because the first things which appeared in this universe were stars. Whatever was in the beginning, the God particle and the Big Bang and whatever, scientists speculate wildly and they think they are very smart, but their intelligence is purely speculative. You know, it's like you cannot say that I'm sitting in a wheelchair and drooling saliva like Stephen Hawkins, but I know the secrets of the universe and of the black stars. If you know, then make like this and get out of your wheelchair. That shows that you actually know how the universe works. You know, like Jesus. Say, stand up, take your bed and go home. That's the real knowledge. The fact that you speculate that mathematically you have a model about how the big planet, that's completely bullshit. Because if it would be true, you would be able to move the stars on your little finger, around your little finger. And simply speculative intelligence. But in the mystical intelligence, they say that the first souls, and they were very big souls, they were the stars. And if you know a little bit of astronomy and cosmology, actually the stars are divided in two. The stars, which are very seldom to be found nowadays, many of them have collapsed and become neutronic stars and so on, and the regular stars like our sun. Our sun is not one of the old stars. So it's, there, there are some cycles of evolution there. I'm not going into that. Look a book of cosmology or any site and read about these things if you are interested in astronomy, cosmology, cosmogony, and other similar things. So it seems that the first souls of this universe were the old stars. And those stars came like the old gods, like the great gods, the first gods. And then from those there appeared smaller, and then the stars started developing solar systems, and for example, in a solar system like ours, each planet became a god. But these planets are much smaller than the gods of the stars, because even organizationally, they are orbiting around one sun. And each sun, allegedly, has some planets orbiting around it. And therefore, the seven, the seven planets, the seven gods of Greek mythology... Roman mythology, Northern mythology, Hindu mythology, and others, these are the minor, much, much more. These are third-degree gods. They are the old stars, the newer stars, and then the planets around the stars, and then others and others. So the spirit, in the beginning, grouped itself around whatever it could find. Wherever there was a stone on the road, wherever there was, it was not smooth. The universe was either completely homogeneous and ah, here is some discontinuity. That discontinuity could be a star or something like that. And then the consciousness painted around it. There is a very beautiful book of science, of popularized science, in which they tried to put together space, time, consciousness, 
the Tower of Physics, um, all the hippie things from the 60s and 70s, some of the ideas of Jiddu Krishnamurti with the holographic universe of Talbot, and many, many other ideas. Parapsychology, of course, the explanation of paranormal, and many, many other things. Uh, there is a very wonderful book, which is very rare because it has not been reprinted. It was called, in the 70s, called Space, Time and Beyond, by Bob Torben, Jack Sarfati, and Fred Allen Wolf. Out of all of them, only Fred Allen Wolf was uh, still known in modern recent times when he participated in the What the Blip Do We Know documentary. There was there a crazy physicist with a white beard, with very crazy eyes. And that guy was Fred Allen Wolf 30 years before. 35 years before, he had been co-author, one of the three authors of a book uh, trying to make science available to the mind in an alternative way. And this book was called Space, Time and Beyond. And there, they presented the idea, like how to understand the ocean of the cosmic mind, and then the fact that we have the world as we see it. Trees, houses, people... You know, the planet Earth, if you zoom back and look at a bigger scale. And they said, from the standpoint of quantum mechanics, it looks like we're talking about foam on the surface of a very deep, transparent, invisible ocean. If you look and there is an ocean, the surface of it is here. And from here it goes a million miles. And it's perfectly transparent. And I'm looking at this ocean. I cannot see where the surface is. Because it's transparent and perfect. But if there is some scum, some dirt, or some foam, you take the water and uh, agitate it, and there is a bit of foam bubbles, those bubbles can form a patch, and then I see it, and I see that this is an ocean. So they would say the planet Earth, or uh, the trees on these hills or something, they are exactly like the water. There is a cosmic intelligence, and that cosmic intelligence, on the surface of it, there appear images. Only that on the surface of water, these images would be 2D, while we are watching a world which is 3D, which means the cosmic consciousness is deeper than vision. It's just an analogy. It's a visual analogy. So in this way, we don't understand exactly why, but spirit agglomerates, it changes its behavior when it finds discontinuities in the homogeneous space. And that's where spirit lays, and then that is a soul. A soul is a particular location of spirit. Spirit is like the ocean, but a soul is like a patch of foam on the surface of the ocean. It's still the ocean, that foam is made from the ocean. If you stir the water in the ocean, you get that foam. If you let it stay there for one hour or two, it just pops and melts back into the ocean. So the foam is the ocean, but the foam becomes visible. We don't see the spirit. The spirit is right here. You are looking at it right now. We are like fishes in a pond. We are swimming in the cosmic consciousness. We are, it's everywhere. God is everywhere. You are looking at God right now. 
It's to your left, to your right, to your back, to your front, to above you and below you. It's everywhere. It's, we are in it, but when you look at one of you, you see foam on the water. You don't see but when there is a bit of foam on the water, there is a form. There you've got a particular agglomeration, and there you've got it which is manifested. You've got a spirit which is located. The spirit has no space, no time, and it cannot be located. But the souls can be located, both in space and in time. If you consider yourself an example of a soul, you have a time of birth, you will have a time of death, you exist on this planet for now, and therefore you have a location in space and time, and you are like temporary foam on the surface of the cosmic mind. And in a certain way you are isolated, separate, because the foam is undeniably there, like you look at a cloud on the sky and you say, look, that cloud looks like a horse. Yeah, it does. And it does. No? And at the same time, when the foam is melting, it doesn't. They say, where was that foam? Five minutes, ten minutes ago, ten hours ago, there was foam. Oh, well, it has just slowly back into the surface because nobody has agitated the water anymore. And therefore, the foam was like melting back. And now the surface of the water is crystal clear, which is the very image of the cosmic consciousness or of the void. Because when there is a foam, people say there is nothing. Oh, there is something. But that something is exactly the background of everything. That is the cosmic consciousness. That is Shiva. That is the infinite. And that is also the image of it is the cosmic, cosmic intelligence which is the first manifestation uh, of that in terms of planes. So, it's an interesting idea to start discussing, first of all, about what souls are. Because the soul is nothing but a particular agglomeration of spirit. It's like the spirit is converging around a certain point, like for the body, is... A structure which allows the accumulation of spirit. And because we have a bit of the brain, actually the human being is agglomerating quite a lot of spirit, much more than the animals. The animals are also spirits incarnated in a body. But because they have a more primitive nervous system, some of them much more primitive nervous system, some of them almost as good as the human one, then there is more or less spirit attracted in that place. Exactly as a neutronic star attracts a lot of matter, while just a little asteroid flying through the cosmos has an absolutely pathetic gravitation of its own, and it may attract some dust or something in its way, but not, not considerably much. So in this way, Starting with the creation of the universe and the super big spirits, the old stars, and going to generation stars, which are of the level of deities, and from there going to the planetary bodies, they are also deities, 
and then going to smaller and smaller and smaller things. And then the fact that nature gets iced, like there is life on a planet like Earth. They found primitive forms of life even on Mars, like some ethereal, elementary DNA form of life on Mars as well. So now we know that life is possible everywhere. There was life, there were bacteria and things found on asteroids and meteorites. In the matter of asteroids and meteorites, they found molecules which obviously were coming from some sort of life as we know it. And there may be lots of forms of life which we don't even know yet. We haven't understood yet. So to make the long story short, souls are in different places, which means agglomerations of spirit. And that is very, very interesting. In my opinion, uh, to turn the back to this knowledge, like uh, I'm scared to know about it, it's exactly like, you know, but if you go in the jungle, island, how many forms of life are there in this jungle? Myriads. I, I don't think we can even count them, how many million species of uh, vegetation, birds, animals, everything, live just on this tiny island. This is a relatively small island, and still there must be millions of forms of life. And just to say, it's too spooky for me to think about it. Like, why? Now, then which we live. We live in that world. And actually to go in the jungle, knowing the jungle, much, much smarter than to go in the jungle without knowing the jungle. Because then almost for sure, you will become a victim of what's knowing in the jungle. That's why... If the universe is a sort of a jungle, it's very, very useful to know this jungle, to expect to know what's happening, and therefore to know what kind of spirits, entities, or souls exist in this universe. Either William Shakespeare in Hamlet, when he says... Uh, there are more things between heaven and earth, O oh, Horatio, than meet one's eye, by which it means like there's, there's a lot of life consciousness. Or even Jesus, when he says there are many mansions in the house of my father. Like he says, the house of God contains many, many mansions. The Tibetan yogis may have simplified this system of mansions when they took us. Actually, it's a Sanskrit word taken from India. And in India, they talk about seven lokas above and seven lokas below, which would make it a system of 14 lokas. But then Kashmiri Shaibis speaks about 229 bhuvanas or spheres or locations, worlds. And uh, while the Tibetan lamas, they simplify everything down to six lokas. Like there are six general categories of existence, but they simplify because they talk from the standpoint of a human being. From the standpoint of a human being, die, your soul can go in six different places, says the Tibetan art of dying. And thus, I'm trying to make a little bit of order in these many mansions, in this, the fact that there is more, there is a lot of heaven and earth, we have to think about a few ideas first to start seeing what are we talking about. Exact analogy with the jungle, for example. 
the perhaps one of the least practical two, but which is very important for people who do spiritual practice, is the classification of the spirits in the fact if they are above human, subhuman, or somewhat equivalent to human in the same zone as the human beings. This classification is not like the cobras and the tigers and the birds and uh, it's a classification which is a bit subtle because it looks at the level of evolution. How complex is the spirit in those entities? We are being told in Buddhism and in many other mystical traditions that the human being is the highest spiritual being that lives at present time on the face of this earth. We can speculate if 25,000 years ago the Atlantis, they were in touch with alien civilizations who built the pyramids and the Sphinx and you know, like there are so many mysteries in history, it was just a matter of advanced technology which now it's been lost or if it's been a matter of communication with other civilized and whatever, that's not really important. We are talking here from the standpoint of the spiritual evolution. In terms of spiritual evolution, all the religions of this planet in the last 3,000 years, they tell us that whatever has been 40, happening 40,000 years ago, now we are just the most developed spiritual creature which exists on this planet. Neither the dolphins, nor the, nor the orangutans, nor the whales, no other LM, not other animals which are relatively intelligent, endowed with a larger brain, they cannot measure with the human being, because the human being is the only one which has this total self-awareness, like, who am I? Where am I? What's happening right now? This presence, this awareness, we are the only ones that have it properly. You know that the New Age people go on with aberrant things, that the dolphins are very evolved. Now, but these are just Vadistanistic people who like because they have Vadistanistic shapes, watery shapes, and they have a very soft skin. And if you touch a dolphin, you'd say, nyu, 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 nyu. It's so it must be more evolved than us. Because, see, we kill animals, and the dolphins usually don't, except in self-defense or something. So they must be more evolved than they are not. The Japanese fishermen, they fish them by the hundreds. And like in that ugly documentary called The Cove. And if human be hunted constantly by somebody, physically, at least one of them would say, man, let's not go there. Let's change our trajectory. Let's change our habits. Let's do something, you know. The fact that the dolphins don't even have the level of actualization and of reason and of consciousness to say, well, you know, let's avoid human beings or let's not go to the, that cove in Japan where we get killed by the hundred, because last year it happened and two years ago it happened and three years ago it happened and every year it fucking happens, that shows automatically that there, there is not a developed reason and not a, although they have large brains, but somehow those brains are not structured in an efficient way enough. So I'm not going to waste time talking about this. But again, physically, we say, well, if we look at all the, if we gather the Ark of Noah and we put all the animals of creation like this, the human being is number one. It's the top of the chain. That 
on the other hand, in terms of the universe in general, is not true. Like, for example, the planetary spirits, which are the seven gods of mythology, they are at a higher level of development than the human beings. And thus, please remember, first of all, that we think about the fact that there are, human, there are spirits which have gone above the human level, which means once upon a time in the past, they must have been human or something else which is equivalent to human. They have gone, because some of them may have evolved on other planets in other solar systems, and there the inhabitants are not called humans. They could be some other form of life. But there was a consciousness, an intelligence, a reason which looks like that one of humans, which acts like that one of humans. Of course, with imperfections, with ego, with, you know, if the ego is a level of manifestation of the consciousness and up till a point it's inevitable, then you can rise above the ego, but first you must have one. So, uh, what I'm trying to say here is there are spirits, entities, souls, which are above human, and we cannot see physically any of those on this planet. If Jesus is incarnating on this planet, then we see something higher than human. But even he is trying to play human, not to spook us, not to provoke us, and just showing, look, I can come down to the humanity, therefore the humanity can come to my level as well. We are united somewhere through this Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the ocean, on which these patches of foam appear, the ocean is the underlying substratum, and it's the same for all of us. It's the same Spirit of God. And therefore, Jesus says, I am the rest of mankind. You are like me. You did something good to one of my brothers, you did it to me, because I am connected to everything and everyone. So, spirits which are above human, very seldom do we see such spirits. Krishna is the eighth avatara of Vishnu. Well, Vishnu, Krishna, therefore, they are something much higher than human. There is a old documentary of BBC called Dragons of the Wudang or something like this. It talks about Taoist masters from China. And then there is there, there is one who is practicing concretely something like 11 hours per day, an old man who is 70, and he practices Taoist exercises, physical and non-physical, about 11 hours per day, like a Chinese drop. You know, he is like relentless. At 70-something, he practices more than 11 hours of spiritual practice per day. And the person who asks him, why do you do that? And he says, I want to become a god so that people will make statues of me and worship me. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So in this way, that's a human being which is moving towards a higher than human level. In the beautiful documentary, The Yogis of Tibet, there is this Tibetan yogi who cut his hair preparing for death. Then Dalai Lama sent him a note, no, 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 Baba, don't go, don't die, because you are not allowed, we don't have yogis anymore, stay. 
you know? And the guy said, okay, if the Dalai Lama told me to stay because he's the boss, uh, I will stay. You know? So he said, okay, I'll live 100 years, I'll live 96 years, whatever. He just said something funny. And uh, uh, I don't know if he fulfilled that promise or not. But then when they take him interviews about who are you, what you are doing, he says, I can't tell you because I would drive you crazy and I don't want you to think that I'm talking nonsense about myself. You know, he's very slippery. But he says, from outside, from your camera, you filmed me and you think I'm a human being. He says, but if you would be inside my head, you would not see me as a human being anymore. So, so that's why we're talking about the fact that it's possible that in a human body or even outside of a human body, that there are spirits which are higher than the level of the human being. What's the relevance here? Well, these spirits, they show where we go. They are the next steps in our evolution. So, therefore, we are looking up to those spirits and we try to see which peculiar path do we want to take there. There are subhuman spirits and then, of course, they are treated with a certain deference, with a certain distance, but they are useful. No, it's like what would be a bee producer without his bees if they stop collaborating with him? What would be a hunter without a dog? What would be a shepherd without a shepherd dog? No, he knows that the dog is subhuman, but the dog is having certain qualities which he can use. And therefore, human beings often associate with subhuman entities. For example, in the medieval time, do you have any research of how did people do to conserve meat? When they were cutting an animal, when they were slaughtering an animal, especially a large one, like an ox or something, what do you do with 400 or 500 or more, 600 kilos of meat? Of course, you sell some of it, you give it in the village, it still leaves a hundred kilos of meat with you, which are supposed to be for the rest of your family for the rest of the year. How do you keep it when there is no ice, no ice box, and no refrigeration technology? In Europe, in France, for example, in the summertime. They conserved the meat by using a mixture of processes of smoking and bees. They are taking the meat and putting it into a bee house. They created bee houses which were as big as a room, as a small room. And the bee house was living there and they were protecting everything in that space. And these guys, they were hanging the meat in that space. And then the flies and other insects which would make the meat rot and fester with worms, they could not get inside and lay their eggs. Because the bees were jealously guarding their space. And in this way, paradoxically, there were no germs. The bees sterilized the environment and the meat was preserved in, together with the help of the bees. And the bees are some spirits which have the level of existence of the fairies, of the pixies, as the British call them. Because fairy is a bit of a mixed word, okay, fairy tales, the tooth fairy, and so on. Sometimes it's like a stronger one, a higher one, and sometimes it's like a tiny little playful spirit of nature. The same word, fairies and pixies, 
and a few others. They designate entities belonging to the air element and to Anahata Chakra, uh, which some of them are superhuman and some of them are subhuman, like the dog. Yeah? But there was a collaboration of the human beings. So if I say subhuman, I don't say necessarily something bad. But on the other hand, we try to go higher. Nobody is trying to become like his dog or like his cat. We can make the Walt Disney joke, everybody, everybody, everybody wants to be a cat. You know, we can make that funny, that's from the Aristocats, in case you haven't seen it when you're kids. We can make that joke, no, but the truth is that Milarepa doesn't want to be a cat. Milarepa has been a cat long. And Milarepa wants to be the patron god of cats, but not a cat. He can be the protector if he happens to love cats. He is not a cat. And thus, the subhuman entities are there, but they think to distance us from. No? Like when, when yogis have studied this, the animals, for example, which are subhuman, they have discovered what is called today animalistic behavior. Like their sexuality, their sleeping, their eating, their way of doing this or that. And then many yogis have kind of gone like this and they said, well, I don't want to live my life like that. No, because that would make me just an animal. That, that would make me animalistic. I would like to, you know... Sit up, stand up, like all the animals have their spine horizontal. Yogis in meditation have their spine vertical. It's a sort of, let's go against animal nature. You know, subhuman has a horizontal sushumna nadi. Yogis and humans have a vertical sushumna nadi, which catches a different kind of waves. And, of course, entities which are almost equal, like slightly or slightly superhuman, and where there comes all the panorama of magic, collaboration, visions, dreams, shamanism, animism, uh, um, sexual magic, and a million other things which are happening nicely because of the connection with different classes of spirits. Obviously, the yogis always want to be inspired by superhuman spirit because the yogis are generally not about to quit the human nature and to go to a higher level of evolution. We can also classify these different souls or entities from a strictly subjective human standpoint in beneficial, negative, or mixed. For example, the bacteria in your stomach and intestinal tract, 99% of them are indispensable to life. If the microbiome, it's called microbiome, this flora, this mixture of flora, which today they can measure it in your stool because your stool reflects what you have in your bowels. That's how it looks. I told you, your stool is made of bacteria, most of it. And if you have the correct biome, you can live a hundred years and be okay. And if your microbiome is disturbed, man, you are like possessed. It's like much worse than just a physiological disorder. One of the most typical 
microbiomian disorders is the famous candida. One of the 120 components of your intestinal flora called candida, candicans, a microorganism, becomes dominant, takes over. And instead of having 5% of this and of this and another 2% of that, suddenly candida is like 60% of what you have inside you. Then, very bad. But this candida inside you is like possessing you. It's producing electrochemical effects, some of them which act on the chemistry of your bowels, and some of them which act on the nervous endings in your abdominal cavity. Both of them, through two different directions, they send to the brain the same signal. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then you go like a robot to the fridge and you start eating sugar. And you are possessed by a subhuman entity which manifests in your body as candida albicans. That candida alb is a spirit. And it's a spirit which possesses 7 billion human beings. It's not only in you. It's in everybody a little bit. A finger of candida albicans is in each, in everybody's stomach and body. And everywhere it's not. You can get candida in your eyes, in your conjunctive tissue in the eyes, in the anus, on the genitals, on everywhere, in your throat, on your tongue, you know. It's a nightmare. And that's when candida simply finds a way to take over, to break the balance inside, and to take over, to become dominant pieces. And that's happening mostly because of sugar and carbohydrates, carbs, which we put in us. On the contrary, when you cut the carbs, like in the ketogenic diets and others, then you are basically hitting the candida. And the people who cannot do ketogenic diets, and this is because candida doesn't let them do it. Candida is stronger, and it's an arm wrestling. Who has the stronger willpower, you or the candida? And if the candida keeps telling to your nerves and brain and stomach, sugar, 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 and you just go Spartan, you just go suicidal, and you say, fuck it, no sugar, I'm going to be unhappy, depressed, sad, fucked up, but no sugar. Now, unhappy for the rest of my life. Oh, here is my answer to it, you know. It's like, and then you, you can defeat the candida. Of course, it's a rudimentary way, but it still works. So we are judging spirits, including this medical spirit, if they are useful, unuseful, or mixed type. For example, the viruses are not useful, but actually some of them are very useful to our immune system. In this COVID epidemics, there were virologists and epidemiologists who said, wait a second, you cannot destroy all the microorganisms, because some of them are absolutely necessary to the immune system of the human being to train, to build up, to do some things. And if you'd buildings in a totally sterile environment for 20 years, then when you'd put them on the face of this planet Earth, they would die in three days. They would not in 48 hours, no, because they are lacking those things. So it's very difficult even to say what is useful and what is not useful. No, I'm not going there because especially this theory with epidemics and so on, 
but other beneficial and negative and mixed spirits. For example, of nature, all this movement with hug a tree, they say that the trees are spirits. Each spirit, each tree is a is a spirit, is a being, is an entity. No? And then cutting trees, destroying trees, it's not a thing. It's a slaughterhouse. It's a, you know, like we make, we cut trees to make paper. That paper, we print books. And we print shit like Jean-Paul Sartre. But save a tree, you know, you can go hang himself because what he wrote is not worth the paper it's written on. It's a pity for the tree. If the tree, the Bible, the words of Jesus, then you could say that tree was uh, sacrificed for a worthy purpose because on we printed the Bhagavad Gita, we printed the poems of Milarepa, we printed the Gospel of Luke. But otherwise, so there is a value in everything because everything there is life. The Findhorn experiment, which people are ignoring because of the wall of silence, the Findhorn experiment is amazing. Because in Findhorn, these three people, they grew up monster vegetables, amazingly successful vegetation. In the climate of England, very friendly. Like here in the jungle, everything sprouts and grows. But in England, the, the agricultural seasons are very difficult. It's, what, 50 degrees north in the northern latitude. So it's not a joke to make agriculture because the season of sunlight and heat is quite small. And not only that they did it in England, but they did it on a soil which was considered the most unfertile soil in England. And it's like you say, but they are ignorant and they didn't know. Come on. The farmers know how to distinguish fertile soil from... If that soil would have been fertile, a farmer would have it 500 years ago, a 1,000 years ago. Somebody would have discovered it and made a great farm there. The soil was not fertile. And in an infertile soil, in a country which is not the paradise for agriculture, like England, these people from Findhorn, they created formidable vegetables and gardens just with the help of the spirits of nature, fairies and others. Now, if you want to have green thumbs, you can try the same. I've got a lot of land here waiting for whatever we're going to make with it. Why don't you come and try to plant a plot of your own, pay for it and call on the fairies and show me that you can make some tomatoes as big as that. Because that's what they did in Finnhorn. Yeah. The question is, do you... Because we say, are there beneficial or negative or mixed entities? There are entities which are definitely negative, And you can think about all sorts of dangerous animals in the jungle. Like, for example, on there is not one single tiger. If a thousand years somebody would have brought on this island two tigers, a male and a female... Now, you wouldn't be circulating quietly at home at 10 o'clock when I finish this satsang. I was on an island of 14 kilometers by 14 kilometers to have 10 families of tigers. You wouldn't be able to have a romantic walk in the evening. So it's like there are animals which are 
They are spirits which are negative, dangerous, if you want to use another expression, more friendly. They are definitely spirits which are beneficial. Like we cannot live without our lactobacteria and we cannot live without the bees and we cannot live without a lot of other things in this world and things which sometimes good, sometimes bad. From the poison of the cobra, you can make some powerful medicine. And also, if you get bitten by a cobra and you don't get the treatment in good time, you can also die. So, there is a mixed thing there. They are spirit. It doesn't matter if they are higher than human or lower than human. That's another criterion. From the standpoint of this criterion, remember that they are spirits which are beneficial, negative, or mixed. For example, an entity which is making you have a deliberation with a wonderful orgasm and which is stealing your ojas in the process. Is that a vision or a negative entity? It depends from which point you look at it because if you never practice spirituality, you say, the heck with it. At least I masturbated every day like crazy and I had a lot of fun. But like Milarepa, then you say, no, 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 that one was stealing my ojas, you know, and then I have to do this and I have not to do that, and no, no, no. So it depends very much, it's a subjective point of view, what is beneficial or negative. There are entities and spirits which are interacting with the human beings, and some which are not interacting, exactly as in the jungle, there are animals here, the human beings coming, they run and disappear, you never meet them. It's very difficult to meet certain animals which are very shy, and on the contrary, some of them are attracted. So there are spirits which choose to interact with the human beings, and there are ones which don't even, there are spirits in this world, even on this planet, that they are simply not interested in you, and they want you not in them. And they live like in a parallel universe, literally speaking. Or sometimes this interaction is sometimes. There are, for example, spirits of the sun, or spirits of Saturn, or Venus, that they don't interact with you. But if you do some magic, and use some mantras, astrological mantras or something, and you interact with them, then they will interact with you in specials, if you call upon them. So, there are classes of entities which interact with you or do not, and some which aren't doing it. The Tibetans divide, now, now that we start looking in the systems, they divide it in six lokas. They say, you being, after death, can theoretically go in one of the following six lokas. One, Deva Loka, the gods. You could become a deity when you die. Like that dragon of Budang, that old Chinese man from Taoist. Man, I forgot his name. We have the documentary. It's a relatively short documentary, 45 minutes or so, where they describe mostly, they didn't find many, you can imagine, in uh, 10, 20 years ago when the documentary was made, and they talk mostly about two of them. And one of them is this crazy old man who wants to be a god. He wants to be... So, theoretically, Tibetan yoga says such a human being, when they die, they go to Devaloka. They become Devas. 
they become equal with Jupiter and with Venus and with Mars, with the Devas from Devaloka. They become a, a god is born, a deity is born. So deities can appear. Maybe that old man who is in that documentary, maybe he is dead already, because he was old at the time of making of that documentary, and maybe now he is a minor god in the pantheon of gods. After Devaloka, there comes the human loka. The human loka is placed quite high because the humans have to become Buddhas to reach enlightenment, and therefore the human condition is coveted. Even the gods and the titans, they don't have the freedom which the human beings have, and that's why the human condition is a very exceptional condition, versatile, it's very... It can go to Buddhahood. If any one of you in this room decides now, tonight, that you are going to consecrate seriously, not bullshit, seriously, seriously, full on, that you are going to consecrate the next steps of your life to transcending the human condition, any person in this room or who watches this video can do it. And therefore the gods, the deities, they cannot stop being gods. But the humans stop being humans. And that, that is a very versatile condition which is enviable. That's why it's considered to being a human to be a very precious existence. And it's a very precious condition. Then there is the world of the titans. The Asura world in India... The titans are like powerful demons. They are not dark, like evil, destructive, but just very egocentric. And it's like me, 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 me. Like Don Corleone in The Godfather. If you kiss my hand and respect me, you're okay with me. If not, I will send somebody to do harm to you. That's a demon. That's a demonic. You know, it's just something based... On this, and there are many human beings who are demonic in this way. Then there is the loka of the animals. The animals don't rise to the level of the human loka. So when you see Robin Williams playing with his uh, dog in what dreams, that is metaphysically inaccurate. The dog and the man cannot be in the same universe after death. They are segregated in two different places. Then there is the loka of hells, which is better not to visit. Everybody visits it once in a while, and everybody has had hellish experiences. Otherwise, your evolution would not be complete. And if you haven't been to hell, then unfortunately the bad news is that you will have to go for your instruction to hell. I hope that if you hell from today on, it will be just as a visitor and for a very, very short period of time. As, and you will not be affl afflicted by it. But yes, hells do exist. And finally, the last of the lokas is the loka of the hungry ghost of the pretas, which is a place of suffering where there are spirits. It's a sort of hell, but not as bad as hell. On the contrary, the yogis of India, they divided the spirits of the universe according to the chakras, or according to the planes. 
different perspective because you can say we have spirits of Muladhara Chakra. Like, for example, some of the bacteria go and multiply in your shit or in cow shit, if you prefer something more romantic. They are Hara Chakra bacteria. They are Muladhara Chakra spirits. The dogs are much more evolved than complex Muladhara entities. It's true that they sometimes eat shit as well. No, because of that, but hey, they are spitumuladhara, which are of highly divine nature, like Ganesha. Ganapati Deva is represented in Muladhara often. And let's not forget the very epitome of Muladhara Chakra consciousness, which is Brahma. Brahma, the creator. The creator. So here, you who understand yoga, it's about the sub-levels of the chakras. It's about how deep in those chakras we are talking about. But we can speak about spirits of the earth element. Like the gnomes. In the old days it was said that the gnomes were the ones manufacturing the magic swords. Caliber, the sword of King Arthur and all that rest. Uh, then we have spirits of the water element. On lower levels, we can speak about succubi and incubi, which are sexual vampires, which suck the sexual energy from men and women. But we can speak about mermaids and nymphs, which are sorts of spirits of nature, not necessarily vampires, still subhuman. We can talk about higher spirits on Tvadistana, like the Apsaras, the goddesses of the water element called Apsaras, the most sensual, beautiful, amazing goddesses that have ever been represented in mythology. And you can think love on the temples of Kajuraho in India. Most of those beautiful women in erotic scenes there, they are Apsaras. Even in Thailand, these male and female entities which do like this. In some Thai houses, you have a, a female and a male, one doing the va. Those are Apsaras. These ones which have a very funny thing on their head and they are long and elegant. Those are typically Apsaras in the Thai gods and goddesses of the water element. Then you can have spirits of the fire like the salamanders and all it is a fire, the Rakshakas and others. Some of them terrible, some of them useful like the spirit of fire itself. Then of air like the fairies, the pixies, and other spirits already light. Again, some of them subhuman, some of them deities, going to Ishvara Deva and Kakini Shakti and all the goddesses of the air element. But Vishuddha Chakra, like the Gandharvas, the Dakinis, and others. Dakinis are mixed spirits. They are not only Vishuddha Chakra. Spirits of Ajna, like some of them can be related even to Shambhala or helping Shambhala, supporting Shambhala. And even divine spirits like the angelology mentions the seraphim, the angels which are upholding the throne of God on Sahasrara, the angels of the highest order called seraphim which are on Sahasrara. Because we talked about angels, let's not mention that we can classify the spirits in male, female, or neutral in gender. 
I don't know if you realize that in nature we have things which are plus, like the protons. We have, we have things which are minus, like the electrons. But we have things which are zero, like the neutrons. And is a mixture of protons, neutrons, and electrons. And thus, in nature, there are things which are male-female, like Brahma with Sarasvati, Vishnu with Lakshmi. Those are like Ida and Pingala. And there are things which are in Sushumna with neutrons, neither plus nor minus. That's the famous secret of the angels. That's what the angels are. That's why I met often people who compared the angels with the devas. That denotes a formidable ignorance. Because the gods are masculine while the angels are not. Yeah? When you speak about masculine and feminine, you don't speak about angels. And that's why I, I didn't cover everything. I could keep going about this, but without diagrams and without a board to make drawings and so on. This would be nice to write in a chapter, in a booklet, for giving a lot of representations and links and connections. Here, in just a lecture, I just mentioned all these spirits for you to understand that we live in the jungle. We are surrounded by spirits. Some of these spirits don't want to hear us. They've got nothing to do with us or to share with us. Some of them, they do. And for example, if you are not careful, let's say you take lice on your body. Lice or fleas. But the lice are more pernicious than fleas. You know, don't clean the lice. You can have them forever. They will never go away by themselves. So exactly as there are insects that like to parasite your body, exactly in the same way there are spirits or entities which like to parasite your body. And some already do bacteria in your bowel and inside your body. And you cannot stop it from being, and if you stop it from being, you die. Because you survive precisely biosis. But of course you can live without lice and without fleas. And that is legitimate to get rid of those because life with those than life without those. While life without lactobacteria is impossible. You die without lactobacteria. You must have lactobacteria in your system. And thus, this story of spirits becomes very meaningful in things like, because this we have the art of dying happening. In the art of dying, ultimately when the human spirit soul dies, where does it go? How does it interact with all these spirits of the universe? Is it relevant? Yes, relevant. And there you find, for example, that there are a few very powerful spirits, higher than human, which are called the Dhyani Buddhas, that the Dhyani Buddhas can help you during the bardo, during the process of transition, and they can emancipate you, and they can amazing good things for you. So in the art of dying, it's very relevant because we ourselves are spirits manifested in a body. Hundred years later, not manifested in a body, but still entities. The, the soul is still somewhere. In Tantra, a lot of things has to do with the spirit. Because when we make love, our sexual energy and other things, 
is a lot of interaction. There's an interaction between the spirit of one lover and another lover. If there are three lovers or 23 lovers in a room, there is interaction between all the spirits of them, plus the fact that they do worship of deities, they use yantras and mantras and a lot of invocations and other things. And then in the sexual tantra, there is a relevance of what is the story of the souls, spirits and entities present there. I mentioned even the epidemics. Epidemics according to Tibetan medicine and Ayurvedic medicine related to spirits. There is a spirit of the coronaviruses, which is guiding all the little viruses which are on this planet. That's why dealing with a virus is a form of magic. It's a form of shamanism. And as you can see, you know, they try to isolate people and eventually everybody put the tail between their legs and said, um, we think we can't stop it, but we are headed a little bit. You know, it's like in the end, no, there, there is no way even the modern medicine can help except some barbarous methods that if you isolate somebody in a cell. But that cannot be forever, and therefore that's not a solution in itself. We have a workshop coming up in Agama, which is the invoking angels, where we can speak about interacting with special forms of entities which are directly related to the divine consciousness and which have a very important function in our Sushumna Nadi, in our central consciousness and evolution. We are teaching, I think we are going to do even this one more coming up. We are going to do, in the end of June, if I remember correctly, we are going to do the Mahavidya, one more Mahavidya initiation. In Mahavidyas, again, you are dealing with the Mahavidya herself, which is a gigantic entity, bigger than the sun, bigger than the sun, like Surya Deva is a small deity compared to what Kali and Bhuvaneshwari are. They are at the level of major deities, the highest level, but also at the same time the Mahavidyas have myriads of subordinated entities. Like we can say that the spirits related, for example, to Kali, they could very well be related to the planet Saturn on a lower level in astrology. And therefore Saturnian spirits and influences, they might be subordinated to the big, to the big ministry of Kali. And generally, I told you all these things because here in Agama, we are a tantric and the spirit of Tantra, both Tibetan and Indian, it doesn't matter, is a spirit which is shamanic. Like we work with the universe, with elements, with resonance, but at the same time we know I, who am a conglomerate of the five elements, because that's what I am, I am a mixture of the five elements, and I am a spirit. These five elements, they attracted spirit. And I'm like a foam on the surface of an ocean, right? I am a conglomerate of something. Because here there is a special discontinuity in the uniformness of space, because of this here there is also present a spirit and the soul. 
And thus, Tantra is big in its view. And in Tantra, we are dealing with elements and forces like fire, water, uh, Manipura chakras, Vadistana chakra, and this. But at the same time, we look at the entity, like I am not only the five elements, I am also a spirit. I am a soul, this body, and this soul is a patch of foam, is an accumulation of spirit in this local area where this physical body And therefore, uh, in Tantra, we are looking at the aspect of consciousness as of everything, and now then even computers have spirits, and then there are also computer viruses, which attack the software of the computers, and sometimes even the hardware, exactly as a virus attacking or my energy, or my intelligence, or my neural flow, if it's a virus of encephalitis, or meningitis, or something, it attacks my CPU, it attacks my processor, my central unit. And thus, uh, it was a good question, this one, and I, I, I felt that I would be happy to talk to you tonight about what are souls, how they accumulate spirit, how we are not the only souls, how there are myriads of classes of souls, some of them are in the many of them are not right today. They might be in 10,000 years from now, or may have been 10,000 years, not in a physical body, exactly as if your grandmother is dead, you say, well, she doesn't exist anymore. That's not true. She does exist, because you can think about her. You can even dream her. There are more other things. I'm not trying to demonstrate now life after. Don't believe in it. They don't believe in it, and that's the end of it anyway. And thus, um, I, I idea to talk about what is a soul, how does it relate to spirit, and how we human beings, being souls, we relate to many other souls and entities. And those of you who do yoga, they know that it's all based on the laws of resonance, that when I work on Manipura, something is happening, that when I work on Anahata, something else is happening, that my body reacts in a different way, my soul reacts, my emotions react in a different way, my mind reacts in a different way, and thus, this is a very rich way of looking upon life, evolution, resonance, our relationships with the universe. And again, I'm saying I don't know why, for some people, it's uh, scaring them. I personally think it's scaring them because it gives a sense of responsibility. If I'm walking blindfolded without knowing anything, I'm just walking. You stepped on something, dear. I don't know. I'm blindfolded and I have rubber boots. No, my life is like this. I'm like a golem walking through, you know. But if you take my blindfold away... I discover I'm in the jungle and there are trees and bushes and monkeys and parrots and yes, cobras also and this and that. Then I have to become responsible. I have to take decisions. I cannot act like a robot. No, I have to live intelligently. And there are people who simply refuse this kind of uh, 
deliberate existence and they seem tiresome to think about all that stuff. Okay, live like an elephant, you know, live like a golem. Organically, you know, eat, sleep, procreate and walk like an animal through the jungle thinking that there is nothing around you. The more you become, the more you become conscious that we live in a universe which is alive and conscious and you have to do something about those things. Look at the Thais. They celebrate the spirits of nature. They have these little spirit houses for the spirits of each piece of land. When it's uh, the, what's it called? Both in the Songkran but also in the autumn when there is the Loikraton. They put fire on water. They put these lotus flowers with fire on the ocean and they light balloons and they celebrate the goddess of water. Because the rainy season stops and there starts the next part of the year. Like there is always a connection with the spirits of nature and with the forces of nature. And in that's how a human being should live with a minimal degree of awareness of the world we live in from the standpoint of spirits and souls. Because sometimes, sometimes they interact with us. And sometimes they interact with us in a way which handicaps us a lot. No, somebody says, I have been mentally fucked up for 30 years of my life. And then one day I just decided for 10 years to not eat sugar. And you know, in three years I became a different person. In three years my consciousness became much more clear. This, that. No, it's like... It's a deliberate thing in dealing with, you know, if I know that I have been a victim of the Candida demon for all my life, I would like to live for three years without the demon to see how am I when I'm free, when I'm not the slave of some entity which treats me like a source of food or like a source of energy. No, that's the parable from the Matrix when Morpheus is showing to Neo the human beings, and he says, unfortunately, beings are just this, and he shows him a battery. No? Like, what if you are a battery, and you want to stop being a battery, and is to be by yourself? That's why some human beings are born already with a good karma, and with a certain amount of intelligence, presence, independence, with a certain degree of freedom. But other human beings discover that 20 years of their lives they have been just like blood and numb. And then they started living their lives. So it's very important to think about what is your soul, what is the function of your soul, what are you doing in this universe, what does God want from you, how do you relate with other many, many, many kinds of souls which exist and which some of them are useful Someone know, like, why not if there is an angel, and especially if there is an angel dedicated to you, like a sort of a guardian angel, a personal angel, why not call it and say, look, there is the suspicion that I am being used as a battery. I can pray half an hour every day to, so that in six months I can see that. Please show me if it's true or if I'm just paranoid about this thing. So they are interacting with other souls and spirits and entities 
can be very constructive exactly as Kali can help you and other forms of interaction can help you. I don't think I should talk more about it. I just wanted in this satsang tonight to show you the richness of this tantric shamanic view that everything can be interpreted not only as a resonance of energies, that's still true, but also as consciousness forms of intelligence, entities, souls, and that sometimes this approach is very, very productive and it gives you a very clear understanding of what is happening. If you'll have questions, you'll send your questions to Q&As. I already did the Q&A some questions about these things. And uh, I expect that next week, if everything goes as planned, I do one session of the Gospel of Luke. So that I will do, as I promised, alternatively. Because I simply don't want to leave the Gospel of Luke unfinished. There are still about 15 to 20 weeks of Gospel of Luke. So, uh, but if I do it like this, then it will take 30 weeks instead of 15. Because every other week I will do something else. Thank you all for having the patience and joining. Namaste to all of you and see the activities of Agama here in the coming. Satsangs, Q&As and other activities.